and welcome to the Robert Barham Show. I'm Robert Barham, and we are back again. We have another spectacular guest today. My friend Sam Morris of Zen Warrior Training is here to talk to us today about something that, um, well, how shall we describe it? It's something that uh, I actually have been looking forward to talking with Sam about, and so is he. And I'm not too sure of how well known it is, but it is going to be an excellent show. Sam, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Sam, uh, you're a, a bit away from me. You're out there on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast today. Do you mind if I share just a little bit about you? No, please. Go for it. You are a transformational coach, correct? That's correct. And your focus is working with high performers and entrepreneurs and creative professionals. Sam is, uh, for those who are curious, he's an internationally known leader in the field of personal transformation. With over 20 years of experience studying and teaching the ancient wisdom of Zen and Taoist philosophy, meditation, and breathwork practices, Sam coaches high performers and corporate clients how to master the inner workings of the mind, body, and spirit and live from a place of presence, purpose, and resolve in their businesses and in their lives. And I've been looking forward to this conversation, Sam. Happy to have you here. And so have I. Yeah, thank you. So Sam, um, you wanted to talk today, and I wanted to talk today, we agreed that our topic was going to be on whole body systems. Mm -hmm. tell, me, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Tell our audience a little bit about that. Just sort of yes, I would, I would love to. I'd love to. This is one of my favorite topics. So um, here in the Western world, we, and by the Western world, of course, I mean uh, the U.S., Europe, uh, the, the traditions, the, the, the culture that we have been uh, born into, uh, there's a tendency to look at intelligence through the lens of thought. In other words, we, we, we organize our thinking around intelligence and we shape our philosophies around intelligence based on intellect, the thinking mind. And if you, uh, if you go back to Aristotle, the, I think, therefore I am, is well embedded into our culture. There's mm. this notion that because we think, we exist. And the fact of the matter is that there's, in Eastern traditions, Taoism, Zen, Buddhism, there's, they don't have such an idea. There is, there is, the being is independent of thought. Thought is a tool, uh, a, 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 a useful skill, something that we need to be able to navigate the world, but it's not the whole sum complete indication of our being. There is a being that is separate from thought. It's not our definer and of our identity. It's not, it's not the defining, yes, it's not the defining aspect that creates self. Self is actually independent of thought. You can exist without thinking. And meditation is actually a practice for existing without the thought, being without the thinking. And so with enough practice of meditation, you begin to actually experience an awareness that you are an observer, that the thoughts that you think, including all of the thoughts that you have about yourself, are merely activity of the mind, but that they aren't the self itself. They do not define who, who we actually are, what we actually are. 
And so this wisdom is, is really incredible because it also uh, opens us up to looking at intelligence through a different angle. And in the yogic tradition, there's a focus on energy centers, all of which have something to do with how we orient in the world. Uh, and so what I do through my work is I help to, to bring uh, entrepreneurs and executives and other people in leadership positions, uh, the, the high performers of the world, I help them to expand their, their, their ability to understand the whole system intelligence of the body, the intelligence that is operating beyond thought at all time. So the idea that we are our thoughts really is it is almost implicit in a lot of ways. We are yes. such an, uh, it, even for example, if you watch uh, television programs, uh, commercials, you read newspapers, articles, you're on the web. One of the things that I see that's a physical uh, example of that is they're always referring to, or not always, but frequently referring to uh, the brain as the seat of intelligence and the generator of thought. Mm -hmm. And not that the entire body is a part of the generator of consciousness, or not generator of consciousness, but an instrument through which consciousness is channeled. It's right. usually focalized. For example, I've, you know I've got um, my background in heart math, and there's mm -hmm. been a lot of uh, fantastic research done about the heart. Yes. And both exoteric scientific material and esoteric material. And yes. yet that's just beginning um, to get out there, in my opinion. Yes. So yes. It's still, it's still very, very, I, yes, you're right. It's just beginning to get out there. It's still a very, very small percentage of people are even aware that there's such a thing as the HeartMath Institute. And to me, it's, it's, it's strange because we have so many expressions in our culture, like in society and our culture, that indicate that we as a culture already know that there's far more to the heart, right? I mean, even phrases like, I knew it in my heart. Yes. It's a yes. very straightforward statement that says, I have knowing. Yes. And that knowing is through, through my heart, is through my heart. Yes. Yes. Don't say, I mean, it's at least I don't usually hear it, but I know it in my brain. Uh, yes, exactly. If you fall in love with someone, it is not a cognitive process. You might have thoughts about someone. You might, when you fall in love with someone, you might have thoughts about how beautiful they are. You might, you might think in poetic terms. You might use language as a way of conveying your uh, admiration or appreciation for someone and how they, what they mean to you. You can use language, you can use thought, and thought is a beautiful skill to be able to convey emotions, to convey feelings, and, and to, it's, a, it's an absolutely necessary skill, but it's still a skill. It, it does not, we cannot love from thought. We cannot, that, that's totally impossible. That, that is the heart expanding that's the energy of the heart that is you know and if you we use the term brokenhearted too sure if we use the term brokenhearted we're not talking about we're having like now we're, our thoughts are disrupted and now we have to have different thoughts because the thoughts that we had before no longer fit the thoughts that we have now 
it doesn't mean that. It means that there's a feeling inside of us. There's a, a, a part of us that is actually, we can sense that it comes from the area around the heart. Right, that there is a feeling like inside that space, there's an energetic feeling of, oh, that hurts. That hurts now. What I, what I assumed was going to be there is now no longer there. What I assumed was going to, to get, make that heart energy feel really good is now no longer in my life. And now I feel brokenhearted because that thing has now, is, that person has now gone away or, or whatever it is. Absolutely. And if we, we can extend that to, I have a gut feeling. I was thinking. If we have a gut feeling about something, we're not talking about, uh, again, we're not talking about thoughts. We're talking about something that we actually sense from the gut. And that's, it's well known now that there are actually, there's a whole neurological network inside of our guts that is, it is completely um, essential uh, for our survival. Um, We have to have that connection between brain and gut. Uh, Without those neurons in the gut, we would be, uh, we wouldn't be who we are. And so yeah, the the um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that is an expression. I knew I just knew it in my gut. I had a mm-hmm. good feeling. I knew it in my and sure enough, um, they are now coming out with. Uh, I think it's what is the term? It's it's something like gastroenteroenterology because the, that is there is a nerve plexus there below the navel, if I'm if I, if I remember correctly, and that is the locus of the enteric nervous system. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that you can take your finger and find a spot just below your navel. And if you press your finger in that spot, it's only about a, an inch or so below that. And if you m- massage that spot, you can feel the entire body will uh, begin to sort of relax. And expand. there's a sense of expansion and relaxation and opening up. And um, from what I've read, a lot of that has to do with we can that stress can manifest throughout the body. And that's one of those places. You know, Absolutely. Also, one Absolutely. Of that you, you're probably aware of and uh, is that those centers, those locations in the body um, have correlates to Eastern medicine, Eastern philosophy, yes. Yes. spirituality. And in, uh, I believe it's Chinese, they're referred to as Dantian. Yes. yes. So you have the lower Dantian at the gut. At the yes. Gut or what the Japanese will refer to as the hara. Yes. And at the heart, you have this middle dantian, and at the head, um, at the brow area, is the upper dantian. Yes. And that's something that in meditation, one can begin to explore. Yes. And, and yes. that's one of the, for me, I think I have a meditation practice like you. That's one of the wonderful things about meditation is that you don't need to only read or learn about something through reading or watching or listening that sort of thing you now have a real practice that allows you to have a direct experience of verification of what it is that is said and that you read about did you yes i absolutely agree with that it's and that's where these that's where the the conceptual mind becomes with time with practice these concepts that might seem foreign at first. It's important to have enough of a logical understanding of 
of that of of what we're talking about, so that we can, and and I think one of the the brilliant um, people out there these days, brilliant scientists out there, is Dr. Joe Dispenza, because what he's doing is he's trying to bridge, well, not just trying, he actually is bridging modern science with ancient mysticism, so that we can understand these principles through science, and. So this is this is the important step that we are on as a culture right now because there's been this divide for a long time between faith and spirituality and science and the two have not seemed to, to coexist well uh, and and we we are now starting to find ways in which logic can start to explain these experiences that we have not been able to previously understand. And what you mentioned just now about heart math is exactly one of these new disciplines that is just here over the past, I don't know, heart math has only been around for, I'm not sure when, when they started doing their work, but it can't be that much more than 20 years ago. And it's, it's still very much in development. Yeah, when I went uh, through my training with heart math, it was back in the, around 99 or 2000. And they, yeah, and, that, and, that, and I think it was just getting off the ground at that time, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. I've been around there that long. So, so, um, so the, the, the science is, is starting to dribble in, uh, and, and I think over the next probably 10 years or so, we'll probably see a dramatic, uh, change in, in what we previously thought was sort of impossible, or maybe some people would look at it as woo woo or, or nonsensical. We will be able to see data that is actually backing up what we are talking about more and more. Um, and for now, the practice, for those who practice meditation or practice yoga, and when I say yoga, I'm not talking about going and stretching you know, for an hour, and I'm not talking about necessarily a hot room or whatever. I think in our culture, we tend to associate yoga with getting a good stretch. Right. And, and that is not... It's, it's more so, like... Uh, yeah, stretching or calisthenics. Exactly. Uh, exactly. As opposed to uh, a way in which to move towards waking up and uh, being woke and enlightened. It's it's a way to to expand one's conscious conscious awareness. Yes, exactly. And, and that takes commitment and discipline. It takes showing up and doing this over and over and over again, day in day out, until, well, not until. I mean, this is a lifelong practice, but until the the experience starts to be embodied where these concepts start to be an embodied experience and you and then you begin to look at these things through an entirely different lens because you were having the experience of being of being able to listen to and feel your gut or the experience of being able to listen to and feel your heart Having the present moment awareness, which most people don't have. Most people are not in the present moment. Most people are, are, they're, they are associating with their thinking mind that is bouncing back and forth between their, their, their memories of their history, their personal history, and their hypothetical projections about the future. And that's, that's what we call mental chatter is when the mind is going back and forth between thinking about things that have happened before 
or our perception. They're not even really thinking about the things that have happened before because it's actually just the perception of the things that have happened before, which perception is not actual, uh, actual absolute truth. You know, it's just perception. It's, it's shaped by however we showed up, how, whatever limited capacity we had to show up, whatever limited cognitive abilities and awareness that we had to show up with in the past shapes our memories of the past. So we are experiencing a, a very biased and fragmented memory of a past event. And then we are looking at trying to analyze those biased, fragmented past events, which we call memories, and project them onto a perceived probable future. And thinking, okay, well, if this has happened in the past, this is most likely going to happen in the future, or I need to figure out what's going on to the, going to happen in the future based on what I think about what happened in the past. So, you know, if a, if a, if you if we were to talk to an alien, and to, you know, and explain to them the way that our our brains work, they would be like, "That's ridiculous." <laughs> you know, why aren't you here right now in the moment? You keep on thinking about the past, which is just a biased memory which is fragmented, created by your own limited awareness, you're taking all of that data and then you're trying to imagine a future based on that. Like when you're not even present, like, you know, it's, it's, it would be, it would be the definition of insanity if we were to try to describe the way that a typical brain tends to function in terms of mental chatter to some species of higher intelligence. And so my my uh, thesis, if you will, is that we are those beings of higher intelligence. We just need to learn how to use that higher intelligence. We just need to be learn how to become more present with uh, the way in which our unconscious belief systems are sh shape our perceptions of our reality and the way in which we create an overlay on that probable future and miss out on the abundance of the present moment. Right. Yeah, I, I love, there's the, uh, the example from George Lakoff of Don't Think of a Pink Elephant, yeah. uh, which is really funny to me because I'll often use that as a simple example, which is to don't think of a pink elephant. So the person will, will actually begin thinking of the pink elephant. And then I'll ask them, are you a pink elephant? And then they'll often bust out laughing going, no, I'm not a pink elephant. So what you're saying to me is you're not your thoughts. Which makes it a nice distinction. And that is sort of the beginning of what you're talking about is that simple distinction, which is actually, if one is to go deeply into what that distinction really means, that brings up Korzybski's map is not the territory and being able to witness or observe one's thoughts. And the same can be true as one can do that with their, their emotions as well. You begin to be able to witness all these things and recognize the difference between what you are not, that uh, path of via negativa, and what you are. Mm -hmm. So with that said, I, I, um, I'm curious how you probably were like me at some point in that place, that place of not being able to make the separation between your thoughts and your, yourself, being caught in the past and the future. Right. Yes, is there was a point because that is essentially uh, how we're raised in this culture is right. that identification with thoughts and feelings and emotions and whatnot. 
How did you find your way into doing the work that you are currently doing? Yeah, so so that's a great question. So my first experience of what I would sort of describe as thoughtlessness being, where I was sort of just aware of awareness, and uh, I think was probably because of the fact that I grew up on a farm in Maine, a very simple life where I was just connected to nature a lot. And there was just a natural stillness in the environment. And that stillness extended to being within me as well. So I have early memories of being very quiet inside my own brain uh, without a whole lot of input from thoughts that were, that were uh, encumbering that quiet. And then I also saw that people around me, including myself, would begin to shape our identities with thought. We would start thinking things about ourselves. And then that, that openness, the, the childhood wonder that we experience in the first few years of our lives would gradually go away. And gradually we would start to experience sort of a, a disconnect from that freedom, that spontaneity that childhood wonder. And, and I realized that that I know I looking back, I was able to, I'm able to see that that was where my, as, as I started to shape my identity and fit in with the world and fit in with certain groups of people, I also started to lose that just complete openness, that, that open awareness. And then uh, when I was a teenager, I started to use psychedelics and I, got into them thinking, well, this sounds fun. Maybe I'll see some colors change and maybe I'll hear music differently. And this sounds like a, maybe a, this would be a fun time. You know, I was open to exploring anything. I thought, what the, what the hell? I'll try some acid. I'll try some mushrooms. So I did. And suddenly I experienced something that was way beyond what I thought that I was going to experience. You know, where I thought that I was going to maybe have a little bit of an experience of synesthesia or whatever, I didn't even know what I was getting into. Suddenly, I was having this experience of ego dissolution, where the self that I thought that I was was not even who I was. I was experiencing myself as, as this infinitely dynamic awareness that had, that had no story to it. It was just awareness. And, but then it would, always, it would always come back. You know, After those psychedelic trips were over, the, the, the unconscious mind would always come back and form that identity again. And I would always go, oh, that was so profound. I just had the most profound insights into the nature of mind and consciousness. And now I'm, now I'm a human being again. Now what? You know? And so I would keep on, you know, here and there, I would keep on exploring these psychedelics and keep on having these experiences. And I would always come back to my default perception. It would shift. It would, it would shift in certain ways somewhat permanently, but I would always form an identity again. And then um, in 1999, I had just turned 24, and I had just finished leading a cycling trek for nine teenagers across the United States. And we, in, in a little less than two months, um, I led uh, nine teenagers from Seattle to New Jersey, and we cycled 3,800 miles, we camped every night, cooked all our own food. And uh, in a little less than two months, we did that journey. And uh, shortly thereafter, it was only about two and a half months following the completion of that cycling trek that I was in an accident caused by a drunk driver. 
in that accident, I became paralyzed from the waist down. I, I uh, broke my T12 vertebra and I lost all sensation and all function from my navel down. And so my life, a, a total new life started at that time. And it put me into a deep state of shock. Um, it was beyond anything that any emotion can describe. You can't, it's, it's like, you cannot be that angry. You cannot be that sad. It's so devastating that your system just has to go into a state of shock to be able to deal with it. And there's basically a dissociative state that uh, anyone who has had a deeply traumatic experience can relate to. And after that accident happened for the first week following that accident, I was just pumped up with morphine. I had a surgery, a spinal fusion surgery. They put a hard shell plastic cast, made it kind of look like a stormtrooper outfit around my torso to keep my spine from moving. My lower body was paralyzed. So I'm lying in this hospital bed in the middle of the night, a week following my accident. And I start to have a full on panic attack because the morphine wears off because the, the doctors decided to take me off that day. The morphine wears off and suddenly I'm just there lucid for the first time since the night of the accident going, oh my God, I cannot live like this. And like I said, you know, I, I'm not someone who was sitting around. I was a, a cyclist. I was a hiker. I was a, a snowboarder and a skier. I, I used my legs all the time, you know, not to mention my sexual function, my bladder, bowels, all of that stuff. Now all of that was just boom like that just erased from my body. And I thought, I cannot go on like this. I cannot live like this. And if I'd had a sharp object around, I wouldn't be talking to you today because I was not going to have it. I was not going to go on for the rest of my life like this. But I was just paralyzed and alone in this hospital room. There's nothing I could do about it. So the only thing that I could think to do was to breathe as deeply as I could. Just take some deep breaths and just hope for the best because that was all I had. And the, the most profound experience of my life happened um, shortly thereafter. I, I started taking these deep breaths and a few minutes into it, suddenly, just like this, boom, it was night and day. Everything that I ever thought that I was, every thought that I ever had about myself, about my relationship to my body, my name, my identity, my family, my likes, like, dislikes, interests, and so forth. All of the things that normally occupied my conscious awareness that described me and who I was were gone. None of it existed. And I experienced myself as pure awareness without any story whatsoever. I wasn't a body, I wasn't a mind, I wasn't an identity, I was just awareness. And as that happened, I felt a connection with my breath that was beyond anything I possibly could have ever imagined. Suddenly the breath went from this tiny little, barely perceptible thing that is occurring in the background that I was hardly ever even aware of, it became everything. Suddenly I became the breath so much so that I couldn't even feel my inhale or my exhale anymore because I wasn't in my, I couldn't feel my body. I wasn't my body. I just became the breath. And in that moment, I just had the most profound insight. 
breath is spirit. Ah, and even the word inspire. Inspire, exactly. Inspiration. I had a direct experience of being my spirit, but not being my body and not being my mind. I became pure spirit when that happened. And in that state, I was in a state of complete con connection or dissolve, if you will, into what is, has been described by mystics and sages throughout the ages. I didn't realize that would rhyme. Mystics and sages throughout the ages. <laughs> <laughs> what has been described by mystics and sages throughout the ages, I, I had that experience of complete dissolve into what has been described as the unified field of consciousness. I became one with consciousness itself as opposed to a separate entity called Sam in a time and in a place. And it, conceptually, it's probably impossible for most of your listeners to understand exactly what I'm talking about. That's okay. Uh, hopefully no one will ever have to go through such extreme circumstances and have to find that place. But that has informed the rest of my life. From that point on, that has informed everything. I've realized in, in is, you know, and this is a, a permanently ingrained memory, knowing that I am not my thoughts and I am not my feelings and I am not even my body. And that even this whole experience of having a physical body is just but a quick flash in the overall evolution of consciousness. Well, now you are talking about breath as a, in, a, in one sense, a vehicle by which to realize truth, to realize self. Yes. And at the same time, though, um, I want to make sure that, that our listeners uh, understand that that has practical value as well beyond, now that may sound absurd yes. to some people, yes. know yourself, well, that's kind of impractical. The truth is, though, it, it does um, have all sorts of practical value as well in, in the everyday yes. mundane life. Yes. For example, um, you are uh, a coach. Yes. A transformative coach. You yes. work with high performers. And mm -hmm. I, I want to know how, if it does, how does breath work uh, relate to uh, working with your clients in the sense of you're probably helping them to be more efficient, more productive, more, yes. more present. How does that, how does that work? What great is, question. Great question. Breath. So, so yes, great question. So, so for one, and this is scientifically studied. So this isn't just a, this isn't anecdotal based on people who've had mystical experiences like the one I've just described. This is actual real science. The breath Focusing on conscious breathing immediately engages your parasympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is the part of your nervous system that is responsible for all of the automatic functions. It's responsible for your heart beating. It's responsible for your digestion of food. It's responsible for the circulation of blood. All of the things that you don't have to think about. All the things that your brain is controlling but that you don't have to think about all of the things that are automatic. The sympathetic nervous system is related to the fight or flight response. And when we are not consciously breathing, we are much more likely 
to remain in a at least a low level sympathetic nervous system response throughout our days. Now, the sympathetic nervous system response is very important for being able to react to situations that might cause us harm. Be able to perceive something that could cause us harm and trigger us into action. But when we are operating with the sympathetic nervous system being our default way of showing up in the world, it means that rather than experiencing life from a peaceful, centered, present place, we are constantly reacting. We're constantly reacting to things outside of ourselves. We're constantly reacting to that email. We're constantly reacting to that employee who just threw off our game or we think that they threw off our game. We're constantly reacting to something that happened within our family. We're letting the outside world impact us in a way where we are not fully in control. We are not fully in charge of how we show up. So switching your awareness to your conscious breathing, you know, we've heard it all a thousand times. Take a deep breath, take a deep breath. Calm down, take a deep breath. Well, why? Why do we hear take a deep breath? Well, for a very good reason, because the deep breathing puts the parasympathetic nervous system back online, and now we can relax. Now we can be more present. But here's the thing if we wait until the stress response to take a deep breath, we're missing out. <laughs> on the way that the body is actually supposed to work. The body is supposed to have the breath be part of its default way of operating. So the way I train my clients is to be connecting to their breath all the time. So it's not something that you do only when you experience something that has stressed you out and created a fight or flight response. It's something that you condition yourself to do day in and day out. Now, some people might be thinking, I'm too damn, what, how the hell am I going to focus on my breath day in and day out? Like, what are you kidding me? I've got things to do, I've got things to handle. I'm a busy person and I understand, I get it. And I'm not referring to making this something that is occupying your conscious attention all the time. I'm not referring to that at all. What I'm saying is focusing on it enough so that it starts to become part of your awareness. Just like part of my awareness is in my fingertips. If in order for me to be able to type on a computer, I have to have awareness in my fingertips. I have to have, in order for me to feel in my body, I have to have awareness of my physical form. Part of my awareness has to focus on my physical form in order to even have my awareness of my body. So what I'm saying is extending that awareness to your breath naturally starts to make you more present. And by investing some time each day to cultivate that awareness, it starts to become automatic. Then you start to have your awareness on your breath all the time. 
And now as I'm living throughout my day, I get a lot done. I have a busy schedule. I am, I've got many projects going on in addition to all of the things going on in my social life. But I handle them with efficiency and energy and non-reactivity because I focus on my breath all day, every day. Well, that focusing on your breath too also is, um, I, I sometimes make a joke when people say things like you were just talking about their, their kind of a challenge or resistance to what you just said. And I'll say, you know, you didn't have any problem when it came to learning to holding your sphincter tightly shut. Right? <laughs> if you were to explain that to somebody very young, <laughs> why would I want to spend all that time trying to learn to hold my bowel shut? That's a good one. It's, I like that. It's productive. <laughs> it's that is a good one. Efficient. Yes. But yes. To recondition your breath. Um, so that you go into deep breathing, the kind of longevity breathing. And it, 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 I, I know it really can create a kind of new relationship with one's body and with one's breath. So Yes, and here's the other thing that I will add to this as well. Um, so not only are you conditioning your mind to have your parasympathetic nervous system do what it's meant to do in your body. Really, it's, it's about restoring the way that the body is supposed to operate is what we're talking about. So not only that, in addition to that, what is actually present? When we talk about presence, when we talk about the present moment, what is actually present? Well, what thought have you had lately that is actually present? Most thoughts, like we were talking about earlier, are related to a past experience or a memory of a past experience, I should say and a projected hypothetical future experience. That's where thoughts reside, is bouncing back and forth between past and future. The present moment is unfolding immediately. The only thing that we have that it can be a true reference point for the present moment is the, the sensation of breath moving in and out of our body and the sensation of energy inside our body. And by energy, I mean just that awareness you can Anyone listening right now, you can feel energy in your body just by tuning in. You'll feel a little tingling going on in various different parts of your body. That's energy in your body. That's what that is. That is an electrical charge that we, that we all have. This is not some pseudoscience. This is real science. We are made of electricity. And so our breath and the energy that is in our body is always in the present moment. It's in the present moment because it is not related to past or future experience. It's happening right now. And so when we are attuning our, aware, our conscious awareness to our breath and the sensations in our body, we are attuning ourselves to what is actually present versus our illusions of the past and our illusions of the future. Well, now, you are, as I said, transformational coach, and I, I've found myself working as a coach and being coached myself, there are things that we all work on, that we all aspire to, no matter who you are. And I think that being productive is something that most of us would like to be. One of those things that everybody has is a desire to achieve goals. Mm -hmm. We all have goals that we would like to achieve. Mm -hmm. For those people out there who are struggling 
Mm -hmm. creating goals for themselves. Do you have anything that you would share um, that you haven't already shared? Yes, I would. I would. And it's related to what we're just talking about. So, so here's a thing about goals that I, I find is, it's fascinating and, and completely related. When we're thinking about goals, it's often through the lens of things will be better when. Uh, and what I mean by that is say you have a, a financial goal of um, trying to make you know, uh, $10,000 more over the course of X period of time, whatever it is. If we think in terms of, oh, things will be better when I have that money, then I will, f- I, when that happens, then I will feel better about myself and I will feel more secure. Well, what's implicit in that message? What are we telling our subconscious mind? We're telling ourselves in our subconscious mind that until that happens, we are going to be experiencing our lives in a subpar manner. That we are not going to be happy until that happens, or we will not feel secure until that happens. Now, our subconscious reads things very literally. It says, okay, let's not be secure until that happens. Let's just wait until then at that time to feel secure. Now, even that happening, that's still an unknown. We don't even know that that will happen. We don't know that we will be able to, to, to make that money in that duration of time. We can't know for sure. And right now, as we go through this whole uncertainty with COVID, a lot of people don't know where the next paycheck is coming from or whether they will have a job. So there's this uncertainty that a lot of people are experiencing right now. And, and so if we place our bets on some future outcome that there's no way that we can be certain we will actually be able to attain. And we say, it is only then that I will feel happy, or it is only then that I will feel secure. What have we just done? We've just trained our subconscious to say, okay, we're not going to be happy and we're not going to be secure until then. And then, then we have to depend on that outcome even coming true. And then by that time, by the time that actually comes true, we, if it does come true, we won't actually be able to fully appreciate. We won't actually be able to feel safe because that whole time from now until then, we'll be in the habit of training ourselves to not feel okay. And so we'll be, we will have, because we are not in control of our lives. Our habits are in control of our lives. And a lot of people think they are in control. They are not. Your habits are controlling you. So if I habitually think that I am not going to be happy until that happens, well, guess what? Now I'm just, I've just reinforced I'm not going to be happy, 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 not going to be secure, not going to be secure until that thing happens. Now we can look at this through the lens of money. We can look at this through the lens of a relationship, a job, et cetera. There's all sorts of ways that people hinge their their happiness or their even their sense of being okay or secure on some future outcome that cannot be guaranteed. So, so, and this is sort of a long way of answering your question, but I think this is important to set up as a, so that, because I'm sure people listening to this go, Oh yeah, I've done that. I, maybe I still do that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
So what there is to do is we need to find the security and we need to find that sense of being okay in the here and now, no matter what the external circumstances look like, no matter how much money is in the bank account, whether you are in debt, whether you are single, whatever you're going through, don't worry about what's going on in the external environment. Find the okayness, find the security in the now moment. And the way that we need to do that, and this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of our conversation about whole system intelligence. Now, what is happening when that mindset is running us? Well, guess what? We, we call, what do we call that? We call that being ungrounded. So what do we need to do? If we have a whole system intelligence that includes not only our intellect, but includes our entire being that we experience throughout our entire body, how do we get grounded? Guess what? It's through our feet, through our pelvis. It's through our relationship, our gravitational relationship to the earth. That's where we ground. We have to ground inside of our bodies to even be able to feel all those feelings of discomfort without going into a fight or flight mode. And when you ground into the earth, you find that steadiness and stability by grounding your feet. And this is a funny thing for, this is ironic that I happen to be paraplegic and I'm talking about grounding your feet into the earth, <laughs> but it is what it is. I've had to learn how to ground energetically, even though I don't have the use of my feet or the oh. sensation of my feet. So I ground energetically, I root into the earth, I feel the stability. Just like if you imagine a tree, what is going to hold that tree stable? What is going to make it immune to the force of those hurricane winds of uncertainty that we are, that get experienced? It's going to be the strength of the roots. That's what's going to do it. And we are no different in a lot of ways, biologically and energetically, than a tree. We need to strengthen our roots in our physical body to be able to feel that security, feel that sense of okayness. Then we can experience all that uncertainty inside of us, all those gut feelings that feel like, oh man, I'm freaked out right now. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Oh my God. Oh, I don't have much, much money in my bank account. But we stay present with it. Instead of going into fight or flight, we just stay present. And if we can stay present with it, well, guess what? then that energy can begin to, we can begin to get informed. We look at this as a relationship between the earth up. Look at it as a relationship between the energy of the earth providing our fundamental stability. The energy of the earth has been there 24 hours a day, 365 days a year since we were born. It's always literally had our back. It's always been literally here to ground us. We feel that. We let that energy come up through our body, we can feel those feelings in our gut, but not react. Then we can continue to let that energy up, let it infuse through the heart, feel our love, feel our gratitude, that energy of the heart, the love and gratitude for, for being alive. Okay, well, I might not, have, might, things might not be the way that I want them to be, but you know what? I can appreciate that I'm alive. Then from there, then we can strategize then we can play, put a goal out there about what we would like to accomplish, but we do it from a place of feeling okay now, 
versus from convincing ourselves that we will not be okay until that goal is accomplished. Yeah, to me, there's some interesting indications in language of what you're talking about. We, for such a long time, for thousands of years, there's been the admonition of know thyself, right? All the way back to the Oracle of Delphi and, and earlier. But that's, that's one that is historically most people might know about. And that is what that's, it's about self-fulfillment. Being full-filled. There you go. And, you know, being full-filled. And in the Eastern tradition with those Dantian, they talk about those three centers as being like cauldrons or cups or chalices. Yes. When one is full, the next one can fill. The triple gem of the three, yes. the three different uh, Dantians, lower, middle, and upper Dantian. So yes. it sounds like when you take care of the lower vital center by rooting and grounding into the earth and having a, a, an authentic relationship with your body and relationship to Mother Earth, and you feel that vital center, which these are things that anyone can do and they can, it's, they're, they're actually fairly simple practices. Yes, you can it's learn, true. You can actually learn the beginning of a practice like this in minutes. That's true. That's it's true. Really complicated. It's, it's, it, it's not truly esoteric in the sense that no. it's not hiding, it's not being concealed, no. it's out there. And when there's you, no secret, and so there's no secret. All, all it is is we, we're just not exposed to this, these, these teachings. Right. And it's really good to have a coach or a teacher to be able to walk you through it, to be able to shorten your learning curve, to be able to get you not uh, to get you from the basics of it. The beginning of it was okay. Place your mind here. Place your attention here. Notice what's that's what that's like, and you can go through the process of experiencing that transformation, that change that begins to happen as you start to undo the conditioning, which isn't wrong or bad. It's just no. kind of conditioning. And now you're learning exactly. a sort of conditioning that is more natural. And in my opinion, it's more in alignment with, and you can tell why, because like you're saying, you feel different. Correct. You have a different Correct. experience. I know, for example, if I catch myself becoming stressed out, it's rare that I'm, that I am resting in my lower Dantian. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I can, having meditated for decades now, I can look out through my eyes and I'm able to sense that there's a portion of my, my mind, body, spirit that is in reaction and projecting my inner state of Correct. feeling yes. agitated. It's projecting it out into the world, onto yes. the world. It's displacing yes. it. To yes. people, and it can affect the way that I interpret or perceive yes. other people and how they are and what their state is. Absolutely. As you are, as you uh, consciously take on the practices of being present, and this is what I, I, I want to ask you, um, are there, these are obviously habits that you're talking about taking on that are instrumental in transformation. Are there other ha habits? that you would recommend any other ones? Because I'm looking at our time here and we've got maybe about five minutes or so. Um, is there any other, any other habits that you wanna share? 
Yeah, well, yes, I think just briefly, since if we're running out of time, I think just briefly, yes, establishing this as a foundation. And then, you know, there are a lot of other habits out there that I employ that, uh, you know, such as, you know, bringing one's awareness to what one is grateful for. And uh, that's, I think, a very powerful habit, starting off your day like that. We have to get, here's the thing that we have to get no matter what ha- new habits that we choose to adopt, we have to get that. Let me interrupt you for a minute. Will you say that? Yeah. Will you t- literally repeat that? Not because yes. I, it, bears, it bears repeating, literally. Yes, yes. Uh, which, which part exactly? When I ask you about any other habits, you're talking about waking up in the morning and... Waking up in the morning and, and immediately uh, becoming aware of what we are grateful for. Right. That is, I think, a, an incredible habit to instill. Because what tends to happen, here's the thing, we have just been through, you know, after, after, after you sleep, you've just been through an entirely different experience of your consciousness. You've been in this dream world. Your brain waves have been entirely different. As soon as you wake up, what occurs neurologically is your brain immediately goes into what is called a beta brainwave state. And it starts to think and strategize about your day. The way that it does that is it starts to remember things that are you know, oftentimes stressful just to get you out of bed, just to kind of give you a little cortisol and adrenaline kick to get you out of bed. You know, oh God, I don't want to get to do this. Uh, you know, and so it actually provides some kind of motivation as gross as it feels, it can provide a motivation to get out of bed. So what we need to do is we need to interrupt that process and start off our day immediately feeling what we were grateful for. And the way to do that is First, find that way into your body so that you can, when you're feeling that gratitude, so that you can actually feel it in your heart, not just think about it in your head, feel it in your heart. Let yourself ground that energy. Feel the embodiment of that energy of gratitude. So what you're doing by doing that is you're you're actually actively disrupting the unconscious tendency for our minds to resort to what they think they know about us, a lot of which is not very fun. (laughs) It's a lot of stuff that we don't really want in our conscious awareness. It's disrupting that tendency and it's giving ourselves some new input. It's giving us the input of love, the input of appreciation. Then we can inspire ourselves to move through the day versus move through the day because we're creating a stress response right out of right out of bed we want to disrupt the stress response as much as we possibly can so that we're operating less from cortisol and adrenaline and operating more from our serotonin and, and and you know oxytocin all these these good feel good chemicals inside of us and breathing and connecting to ourselves so that we can literally be inspired very good that is the kind of thing where East meets West and science and religion can come together. Science and spirituality can come together harmoniously in a real world way. Yes. A practical, useful way that is demonstrably transformative. This that's been my experience. And um, one of the one person who I really care for quite a bit is a wonderful teacher. And, um, she puts it really simply. She says, don't believe me. I don't, I don't expect you to believe me. Don't believe me. However, do the practice, put it to the test, 
and find out for yourself. Yes. One of the things that I appreciate about the, the teachings of the Buddha that I've read is that you're talking about a kind of inner science. Yes. Yoga is recognized as, the true yoga is recognized as a science. And the Buddhist practices, many of them are part of a science, uh, a, a kind of inner science. And the more that we are able to appreciate that, in my opinion, the more we'll see transformation globally. Because it really I agree more. It's the only way for us to see transformation globally. And what we're talking about isn't just nice ideas. What we're talking about is actually going to be essential for, I, I believe, for the survival of our species. Yeah, there's a, you know, the, the Buddha talks about things that are so much like those steps of the scientific method, which is you've got a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And once you have your hypothesis, you design an experiment to test your hypothesis. Then you run your experiment based on your hypothesis, the experiment that you constructed, then you get the results or the feedback. Then you take those results and feedback and you share it with the community, and the, or in that case, the Sangha. And then once you've shared it with the community, you make the request for them to do the same that you just did, yes. which is to take your hypothesis, create the experiment, run the experiment, get the results, and then return to the community with the results that you get. And then what happens over a period of time is if that is replicatable, then it looks like we have knowledge. We have yes. wisdom and yes. wisdom that is available, not for one. It's not an anomalous experience. It's wisdom that is available for, for all who engage in that particular experiment. I think you, you make a, a, a great point. And there's, there's that classic line, if you see the Buddha in the road, kill him. And what that means is don't just trust this. You know, take what we're saying and put it to practice. And so that you're not trusting some sort of concept or, or teacher outside of yourself. Do the experimentation on yourself and see if it works. Sam, That's the only way to create wisdom. Um, if I want to get a hold of you, if someone wants to get a hold of you, uh, what's a quick way for them to do that? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who'd like to reach out to you. Yeah, you can go to my website, which is zenwarriortraining.com. That's Z-E-N-W-A-R-R-I-O-R-T-R-A-I-N-I-N-G.com. You can follow me on Instagram at zenwarriortraining or facebook.com slash zenwarriortraining. So if you, put it, if you Google Zen Warrior Training, you're going to find me. So one way or another, whatever your preferred platform, social media, et cetera, is, you find me that way. Sam Morris, thanks for being here today. I hope you'll come back again for another conversation here on the Robert Barham Show. I'd be happy to, Robert. I love this conversation. Okay. Thank you for all the great questions. Sure, and thank you, too. This has been another episode of the Robert Barham Show. I'm Robert Barham, and that's our show for today. We'll see you again soon.